Hey besties, thanks for tuning in with us. Life is hard, families are weird, work is tough. So this week we are talking about doing the best we can with planning concerts. And we have some awesome guest besties with us today from the company Pretty Polly Production. So we have Dan, John, and Rachel. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being a part of this. Of course. Absolutely. Should I, I'm going to say right at the top that I was at the inception of this idea. Maybe not the inception, (laughs) but I heard about this from you, Allie, in 2019. Yep. He told me the name and I was floored, amazed. Without this is John's way, John's way of saying that uh, you owe him a consulting fee um, for the show. It was all the bestie uh, hipster. <laughs> I, it was cool before. I thought it was cool before anybody else. And it the was all bestie. like pre. You you did this pre pandemic, and it fits so perfectly into everything that was going on. It was like you predicted the pandemic. <laughs> well, we'll talk about my psychic abilities in another episode well since we have y'all here i think it'll be helpful for our listeners to learn about you all what you do so could you share with us a little bit about pretty poly productions what y'all do what it's all about clue our squad in on, on our best season on what this is about sure sure this is dan i'm the the president and owner of pretty poly productions and at our core, we are a, uh, a talent buying agency uh, is the most basic way to describe what we do. Um, in terms of sort of a more complex description of what we do, we are event producers and we are as involved in our events as, as it needs to be. Um, we handle everything from the full on logistics of a concert or comedy event or speaking event um, that some of our private corporate clients are doing. Um, we are involved with staging, sound, lighting, the booking of the artist, uh, the contract negotiations. We're involved with security planning, um, you know, interaction between the venues. Uh, as the artists are booked, we interact with their teams and help to advance the shows as they come into each venue. Um, we, the core of what we do is a lot of what we do is teaching, too. Um, we work a lot with colleges. Um, which is the majority of our, our clients. And we do a lot of teaching. Um, I, I personally come from a family of teachers. Um, and this is a very familiar feeling to me, working with clients this closely. Um, you have a different class each year, but you're teaching the same subject. You are um, working with you know, administrators hand in hand, um, like Allie, you know, over and over again to help them um, and their orgs achieve their goals, achieve their visions. Um, uh, those sorts of things. So it's, it's a really fulfilling job um, in that we get to do what we love and we get to work with really great people. And um, as an aside, get to do a lot of things. I think, I mean, I won't speak for John or Rachel, I'll let them go next, but, but a lot of things that I personally have never thought that I would be doing in the music industry. Um, I mean, just, just that example of, you know, being sort of teachers is one of them. I always thought that I would be some, you know, tough guys shouting on stage at musicians to get their butt to sound checks or something like that. When in fact, you're really, you know, doing a lot of like a, a lot of help helping and, 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 and handholding. Um, so it's been, it's been nice in that, that aspect. Yeah. I'll add that uh, we absolutely do do a lot of 
teaching, uh, like how to produce a concert 101. I don't know if you said that, Dan, but that's that's really what it, what it feels like a lot of times. Um, we focus a lot on colleges and universities, so we exist in this world of higher education. Um, that's, that's a really big bulk of our clients. And uh, we also work with, like Dan said, private and corporate clients, but we end up wearing many different hats, as Dan listed. Um, anything that needs to be done to make the show happen, we tend to lend uh, either at, at a baseline advice uh, all the way to the other side of the spectrum where we're very hands-on doing everything. So from the inception of, a, of an idea like, hey, we want to have a spring concert to like the very last truck being loaded out at the end of the night and everything that comes in between, we are a part of that process to make sure it's a success. And every, every client we work with is different. They have different needs. Um, sometimes we're just booking the artist and there's a turnkey super professional venue on campus that doesn't need our help. Other times we're building a show from the ground up on a football field or a gymnasium or whatever it is. Um, we are working at a, a club with a Starbucks in the back, uh, <laughs> a coffee shop, shout out to Northeastern. Uh, it really could, it, every scenario, every show is different. So our role changes every single day per, per minute, per conversation, per client, all that. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have much to add, but, uh, yeah, I, um, do we want to talk about management too? Or is that okay? Well, uh, recently our newest sort of venture is pretty poly management and we manage two artists, a group and a, uh, rapper from Boston. Her name's Oompa and the group is blue light bandits new album out June 25th. Wow. Um, <laughs> Way to go, Rachel. <laughs> you know, what up? What up? Total get the merch on. Um, but yeah, um, I'm the newest member of the team, newest permanent member of the team. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just kind of along for the ride. I do all that stuff that John and Dan were talking about, except all my experience has been virtual so far. So I'm literally getting ready for my first in-person show that I'm going to be working. Uh, and it's going to be really fun. I'm really excited. But yeah, I, uh, I've, I've been saying that John and Dan probably have the juicier stories for, for this, <laughs> but uh, I'll do my best to contribute. Uh, but I'm, I'm still collecting my juicy stories um, for many years to come. <laughs> I we uh, I just this is a side tangent, but I forgot how good uh, Rachel's podcast voice is. So, oh, so good, it's, it's elite. So um, good, thank you. You really do. We've got we've got a height requirement at Pretty Poly and a <laughs> a voice requirement too. Yeah. Everybody everybody's like yeah. five foot ten. John is six five. I'm six one. Rachel, you're like five ten, right? Eleven. Yeah. And like and then we've got obviously do- all of us have dominant podcast voices. It sounds like. <laughs> It should be a prerequisite. Damn straight. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I fit in. I don't know if I have a good podcast voice. And I'm, so I think both of you guys do. Yeah. I've listened Lies. to a couple episodes. You so, guys are great. Definitely. It's like the phone voice. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to jump into the, the juicy stories. So Sadai and I have both worked in event industries in different capacities. And I want to know, what do you think is the coolest event that you have either planned or worked and why? Mm. I mean, I'll, I'll go first. I mean, I, I think, you know, some coolest, coolest events that I've done have been there's so many, I mean, I'm doing this for 20 years. There's so many of them. I think the coolest events that I've done to generalize a little bit have been the events that 
sort of didn't exist before the students had or students or, or the um, I'll just I'll use colleges as an example since we're on that. The students sort of made made up out of nothing like they, they visualized an idea or they said, we want to start a tradition or we want to do something. We want to have a lasting imprint on this campus. We want a legacy. A lot of times I hear students say, you know, what after we're gone, like what, you know, what's going to be our legacy at this school? You know, unless you come back and you're dropping a couple mil to have a library named after you, probably, probably beyond your degree, not a whole lot. I mean, really, but for, for, for the students and the concert committees that we work with, a lot of them, you know, in their minds, mind's eye pop, pops an idea of, man, I could, I can have a legacy on this campus, you know, whether that's, you know, with their name on it or a lasting legacy, you know, in the eye of the beholder, but in their mind, if you start something, it's yours, you know, for eternity, essentially. So by starting these sort of events and these traditions um, or modifying them, you know, uh, oftentimes changing them around um, things that have been sort of stuck in the mud for a long time and re revamping them, revitalizing them. Those have been some of my, my proudest moments. I think, you know, overall, if things stand out in terms of my career, I'd say, you know, the tours that we put together, these, these 20, 30, 40 day tours that we would, you know, uh, go to an agency and say, hey, can we buy, you know, an exclusive, exclusive rights to the, you know, September 1st to 15th for Artist X. And we'll guarantee you a dozen shows during that time period. And we like own this thing. And if we didn't get it done, we still owed the money. And then we would get it done. Like we'd book the 12 dates really quickly. And we'd say, let's add more. You know, we'd be like, all right, we can add five on the front and five on the back. And let's add more. And let's add, and, you know, trying to make it as big as possible and growing these things. Um, so it really, it was more of a, in, in, my, in my mind's eye, I, I envisioned them as a single standalone event because it was a singular tour, but it really was comprised of you know 20 or 30 separate dates that we had put together but those were oftentimes the the biggest accomplishments and the coolest things we put together getting the sponsorships um getting the artists locked in all the different shows the buses getting it's it's so different than booking a single standalone show and these tours that dan is talking about are uh they were branded campus tours um you, you know, the the brands that y'all work with were campus consciousness and reverb and, Horizon, and there was there's a bunch of them yeah it was so it was fun. like it was a turnkey package that would come to these schools and artists would be included activations would be included production would be included and it would roll up on the campus and there'd be a a banger of a show either out, outdoors or indoors and um pretty poly and that day we're doing um uh, we were doing these tours with drake headline one mac miller headline one um was khalifa j cole yeah. Um, and we were catching these artists in that, like, in that, like, 2010, 11, 12, 13, like, right as they were breaking um, and getting them on stage on campuses, like, right at their, right at their breaking point. I don't know how else to, to describe it, but they were special shows. Like, that was right before my time, but um, it is a great highlight to bring up. Super special. And conversely, you know, I know the, the worst, you know, you probably want to hear about worst shows too, but some of the worst shows happened on those tours for me. And I'll get into that a little bit later, but it's, it was a real, you know, um, angel and devil on either shoulder for those, for those types of tours. It was like, they were amazing and they were horrible. I wrapped into one. Like I never want to do one again, slash I want to do one really badly. <laughs> like you couldn't pay me go on, to go on the road. When do I leave? <laughs> uh, I can go next. Uh, it was, I was thinking about this, 
in the car today and I couldn't pick one, but since Dan mentioned legacy, I want to throw out that uh, my alma mater is UMass Dartmouth uh, in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. And I graduated in 2014. And the thing that I wanted to do um, when I went uh, into school, there's this great outdoor amphitheater on campus. And I just, I was super into music since day one. When I got into that campus, I imagined doing a show in this amphitheater. It never came to fruition, but that's why I joined CAB, which is Campus Activities Board on my campus. Long story short, CAB disbanded and it got sucked up by the Student Activities Office. And I, instead of doing programming on campus, I ended up doing like Habitat for Humanity. I was very involved in that. And I, I gigged around Boston and Providence. I played in bands and that's where I got my extracurriculars from. <laughs> I, in my fresh, uh, my senior year, fall semester, I studied abroad in Lisbon, Portugal. And I remember after a very long night of drinking, I was out with my friend Harrison and thinking about what we had done uh, up to that point, what our, what we've like maybe regretted or not done or maybe accomplished, but things we wanted to get done basically when we get back to school uh, for our spring semester before we graduated. And I was like, I want to produce a concert because we hadn't had a big spring concert on campus in about eight years i think this so this was 2014 or 2013 technically and the last concert that we had on our campus was yellow card wow. before that and it was so it was a long gap between anything did we, did we book that do i yeah, feel like that's yeah. i feel oh, like yeah. that's a pretty poly show we did a yeah. lot of yellow card shows back yeah. in the day. violin yes. rock hot hot um, <laughs> so i was fortunate to have uh you know, friends, uh, my, my close friend was the treasurer of the, uh, of the whole student body. And I had some, uh, you know, friends on the administration. Um, and I just pulled as many strings as I could and produced the full, the first large scale spring concert Whoa. at that campus. It's seen a long time, yeah. booked fabulous, which is a whole, a whole, whole experience, um, <laughs> which I can, maybe add into my worst uh Best slash worst. <laughs> there's a lot worst of those stories. moments that shows i'm telling you where it's like this is amazing this is horrible yeah um <laughs> but that that show was i mean it was the first one it was total trial by fire it's probably why i have a full head of gray hair at 28 years old um <laughs> but i wanted to tie in in terms of legacy like that's what i wanted to leave as my legacy um on that campus and so a few years like UMass Dartmouth is my alma mater but it's also now my client I've done shows there which is a whole full circle moment and I did a show there with cousin Stiz uh, who is a rapper from Dorchester and Fields Corner and we I did a whole bunch of uh, shows at state schools here in Massachusetts UMass Dartmouth was one of them and it was it was just a great show it was the students that I worked with wanted to carry on my legacy and add to it themselves and they wanted to have a, a artists from Massachusetts and the campus body is, is largely from Massachusetts and New England. It was like a whole, just like cool full circle moment. I remember sitting like standing back there in front of house, watching this all, all unfold after, and it was not doing a show on a, a state school campus is not easy. Doing a show anywhere is not easy, but especially dealing with the state of Massachusetts to get anything done. Um, so to do that and have it come to fruition was very special for me. So that that's, that's one of them, and I, I can go on and on, but that's one that came came to mind first. Recouping uh, that tuition money is always a big one. It's always yeah, yeah we got it. That's a dream in this business. Ship it away, pay me back. Making baby. your alma mater your client afterwards. I have been chasing mine for twenty years. I've come so close so many times. It's like the the it's just a goal of mine. 
It'll it will happen. Oh yes, BC, you will be mine. <laughs> Name names. I love that. Honestly, it's so funny when you're talking about legacy. I was thinking about my senior year and the last concert that I produced. So I like had what like a week left of school. And they were crazy enough to let me like come on stage at the end of the show. And they said, Ellie, do you have anything to say to your fans? And do you want to know what I said? Thank you everyone for coming to my party. <laughs> yep. Yep. That was your party though. That was your party. This, this is my party. I had like two French braids, like just like rocking this like tank top thought I was so cool and I thanked everyone for coming to my party and then walked off stage so like we, we do, <laughs> we do always say we always talk about our shows as being the student shows though I mean that's that's accurate to feel that way I think I mean I think it's totally natural and normal to feel that way like it is your it's the show is definitely not for us like ownership me specifically yeah. not for me <laughs> but it's like yeah it's it's having that feeling I think is Something that we've realized more and more, especially as I've gotten a little bit older, it's like I see it more and more. The excitement, the real, the real passion. I mean, the, the, usually the student leadership on these committees, they want to do this for a living, you know, when they're done. So it's, it's real for them. Um, and we feel that and we want to respect that too. We always want to respect that. Like we, you know, I jokingly called us dream crushers the other day because a lot of, a lot of times like students come in and I'm going to use the, you know, they're like, they like, okay, how much for Justin Timberlake and how much for Beyonce? And like, you know, and we have to be like, oh, you know, they don't want to play your school. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, and it's tough doing that sometimes. So we've figured out ways to do it in gentle ways, you know, but, but at the same time, like we see the disappointment when we say that. We also see the excitement. So we try and we try and stay on the positive for the most part, um, knowing that oftentimes we're, we're jokingly crushing dreams. <laughs> but then at the end, you're making memories. Yes. And, and then hopefully realizing dreams ultimately, you know, with the show, hopefully making making the dreams come true. Yeah. So since this is kind of like my first gig in, in working the production side of, of live events and in, in the music industry and stuff like that, um, a lot of my experience at live events and at concerts specifically is like as an instrumentalist, I'm a saxophonist. I went to school to play a saxophone and um, moved to Boston to uh, get a master's degree and eventually dropped out after a year. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm doing this now, which is so much better. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'm like looking at my notes that I have for for events that went crazy, and I'm also thinking that so much went right at those on those occasions too. It's like the same, it's the same kind of thing. But yeah, I was a, uh, I was the tour coordinator for a, an ensemble that I was part of um, at elon university where i where i went to college um we were called the elon music ambassadors or ema lovingly um and uh yeah there were some really fantastic shows that we got to play um we played a lot in on like regional tours to play at high schools as like a recruitment thing for for the music department and there were so many great um audiences of high school kids who were just like so into it. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of kids who were like bored out of their minds, but like there are a lot of kids who were just like so into it and they asked us such good questions and they were so into the music that we were playing. And, you know, I, I think I planned like four 
four different regional tours um, with them. And also with EMA, um, I was lucky enough to get to go to Italy twice um, to, to do a performance tour um, on two separate occasions, one after my sophomore year and one after my senior year. And um, yeah, we, we used to play um, this jazz festival called Jazz It. Um, and it was sort of uh, like this, like community funded festival that would move different cities in Italy. Um, so I played there once in, um, once in a little town called Cumiana where the, and once in a town called Andrea. So um, the vibe was like, these people barely spoke any English. Like we were kind of there to, to play like American jazz for them or something like that, because Europeans apparently are very into the concept of like American big band or whatever that's at least what my director told us when we went over there but um <laughs> but, uh yeah there was one night um on that first trip where we played like a really cool like big band uh gig under this like archway um in the middle of this little tiny town and um and uh it was it was great the show went great everyone everyone was cheering and clapping and we would get up and speak and no one could understand us but like um but it was it was so fun and they were they were like bravi like afterwards and as we were we had our stuff and we were walking to our bus this like giant group of children stood on the side of the of the walkway to like give us high fives as we passed and it was just like such like a rock star moment it was so sweet um but um yeah, lots went right on those tours and lots went wrong, which I'm sure I'll, I'll be able later. to, Let's to talk about really, later. Let's, I'm ready for the juicy shit. Like, that's really what I came here for. Okay. I need to hear what went wrong, some of the okay. crazy stuff. Like, let's talk about it. I'm curious. Yeah. What was your wildest concert story? I took Layla to... Uh... I took Layla to her first concert when she was oh five. God. It was Post Malone. Yeah, dude. Horrible mistake. Yeah, I was like, I knew the tour manager. This is actually might be my most horrible story. I knew the tour manager, and in my mind, I said, "Oh, you know, we'll go backstage because at my shows, backstage is like nothing. It's 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 lame. It's boring. It's like a ghost town, as we call it." And um, we got we got to the show, and we met my friend, and we went backstage, and it was like a Motley Crue concert. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so we getting your daughter a contact. We went directly to catering and got some cookies. (laughs) And then we went to my friend's office and closed the door. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah. And that was, that was a big, that was a huge parenting fail for me. Huge parenting fail. I was like, I was, cause I was so overconfident in my own, you know, uh, network of people that I knew and I know this and that, and I didn't know anything. I got there and I was totally wrong. A hundred percent wrong. <laughs> I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> Post Malone, yeah, not for the Lailo's, kids. Lailo's first concert experience. Post, Post Malone is not for the kids. <laughs> that That's a true story too. It was like, a, that was a nightmare scenario when I got there. And there was like a lot of people there that I knew who were totally judging me, who were looking at me like, why is Layla here, you POS dad? <laughs> I have your business. Yeah, I was like, I'm a professional. <laughs> did Layla get to meet Post Malone? Layla did get to meet Post Malone. He was very, very, very nice. He was like, he, he, he's very tall. He's about six foot three. And he sort of got down on one knee and he looked at me and he said, does she, if she, does she want a picture? 
and she's she knows post she loves music like all that she knows she was behind me and said who is that man with those tattoos on uh-huh. his face that's what she said like that i said that's post said, oh and she walked right over to him oh. <laughs> you want a picture does she want a bud light yeah that was i mean it's like that was the other i mean he's like you know cigarette dangling holding asking me if my daughter wants a photo i'm like having a flash forward to her her first boyfriend maybe i don't know and Uh i'm like am i gonna have to hurt someone right now what's going on i'm i'm confused (laughs) so yeah crazy a crazy first concert story for layla and she i've asked her about it over the last year she honestly doesn't remember she claims she doesn't remember any of this that's probably for the best you probably (laughs) told her in the car don't tell mom don't tell mom exactly Don't tell mom, but I am going to say this on a podcast. Daddy, exactly. Daddy's still not living it down. I'm, I've been in trouble for that for a year. It was bad timing, <laughs> pandemic, and then in trouble for the whole pandemic. <laughs> Just wanted to, you know, jump into that pandemic with a bang. So. Juicy stories, bad, bad yeah. times at concerts. Bad times. Events. Um, there are many. Uh, I'll say as, a, as an overarching caveat that there's – really no way to learn how to do what we do until you do it until you do the thing uh i um have always been a very hands-on learner i need to just do the thing i i don't want to read about it i don't want to watch videos about it i just want to get in there and do it i don't have the patience um and thankfully that translates really well to this industry because there's no other way i mean you can you can listen to all the podcasts you can uh read all the books um but until you're in the shit if, until you're in a scenario that is like um there's money on the line there's people in the crowd there's you know things are going sideways it's you're you're not going to get the experience in you until you have it so that's my that's my caveat for working in music or, or events um you need boots don't on. judge me for my mistakes <laughs> <laughs> everybody makes mistakes literally and if if somebody yeah. tells you that they have they're they are lying they are lying liars yes liars um <laughs> One one funny juicy story that came to mind, and this is, I'll say that I'm going to withhold artists' names and school names uh, or like venue names when I tell these stories just because. Just mm-hmm. um, one of my first uh, big clients uh, that, that Dan sent my way and, uh, and which turned into one of my first really, really big show. And, and by big, I mean, I, it was, I think it was a 1300 uh, person show. And it was the school's big spring concert, and it was uh, it was a part of a tour. It was part of a larger tour. The artist was very big. Um, it was it's a you know a huge hip hop hip hop duo at the time, and uh, you know if if you aren't aware, like the headliner on a show is the most important artist on the show. Things need to be catered towards the artist in terms of uh, they get the best dressing room. The rider needs to be complete. They need the lighting uh, catered to them, the video, everything. Um, it, and then the support artists um, are important as well, but they come <laughs> second and third in line to the headliner, uh, which closes the show and who people are coming to see for the most part. I'm talking about the majority. Um, so we had, uh, it was a three-act bill. First act got, got up there as a pop rock duo. They killed it. Super nice to deal with. Great. No, nothing, nothing to say there. The direct support act, um, how do I characterize him? He is, he is a, a frat rapper um, in, that, in, in that kind of genre of music. Um, just like not, not a ton of substance, but like super popular uh, in, the, in that like 
I don't know. I'd say like from 2013 to like 2016 in that, in that time frame, um, thought, I thought he was the shit and what, and, and my professional and personal opinion was, was not. Um, but so much so that he thought he was more important than the headliner, uh, who people were coming to see. So he had some audio issues on stage. Um, he was insisting upon using in-ears, which are basically buds that you put in your, in your ears so you can hear your mix wirelessly as you run around the stage and perform. Um, he brought his own, didn't coordinate it with the local sound company, and there was fre frequency issues. They, they all work off radio frequencies. They, they use RF transmitters. So there's, they can be like upwards of 10 frequencies on a show at any given time, or maybe more for a larger show. Yeah. Everybody's got different mics and different packs and whatever. So his weren't, weren't working and he refused to go on until they were working and we had a hard deadline. This is another state school and not much I can do about that. Um, so his set was, you know, winding down uh, and it was going to be short. So I just like, I needed to take him off stage. So I go up to his tour manager, his road manager, whoever was handling him at the time. And I was like, all right, well, you know, if you don't get up there and play and use the stage wedges, that's also important to know. We had a backup option. There's there's speakers along the front end of the stage. Like the music can come through there and you can hear it fine. Sometimes better so. Um, and uh, he was just refusing. He was being a diva. Um, and uh, yeah. so I, I had to, and this was very early in my career. I was like only two years into working at Pretty Polly and I hadn't been in a ton of these scenarios where it was all riding on my shoulders. I had to be the bad guy. I had to pull the person off stage. I had to make the decision. And so I was just like, I was like, fuck it. Basically. It's like, you have to fake, <laughs> fake it until you make it. So I was just like increasingly became more and more stern with this dude. And the artist was not getting off stage. He noticed there was a commotion and by commotion. I mean like me yelling at this tour manager. And so he comes down, there's, there was a ramp up to stage and then we use this ramp to like both get people up and off stage and also to roll carts up there or whatever. So it's, it's happening, you know, the art, the audience can't see us, but it's happening on this ramp. So then the artist comes down uh, on the ramp and starts to get in my face as well. Uh, while he's, his set is still going on. It's, it's increasingly becoming a nightmare. Then the headliner comes in through the side stage door. To hear the rest of Concert Planning Gone Wrong, tune in next Tuesday to listen to part two of this episode.